Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. If you have your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah chapter 29, and uh, we're going to get into it from there. Now, as soon as I say Jeremiah 29, um, many of you would instantly think of one of the most famous passages. Lots of us might have it as a fridge magnet or a bookmark or hung up, displayed somewhere in our house, Jeremiah 29 verse 11, which says, For I know the plans that I have for you, plans not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. Now, depending on your translation, it might be a little bit different. Um, And to get it exactly right, mine says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And we love that verse. It's so encouraging. It's so full of life and um, it's so positive and it's looking forward and going, yes, God's got me. He's not going to leave me. He's got great things in store for me. I hold on to this promise that I have from him. So this is fantastic. And we cling to that verse for ourselves which is great. There's nothing wrong with that, except it kind of misses why it was written in the first place. So Jeremiah was a prophet who lived around about 600 years before Jesus walked the earth. And he is in Judah, um, the nation of Judah. And there's a whole bunch of people that we'll get to in a minute, but they've been taken away into captivity by the Babylonian Empire. And Jeremiah and some of his counterparts of the day are being have, having this prophetic argument almost about um, how long the people are going to be in exile, why they went into exile in the first place. Well, that was through disobedience. And so the Lord says, Rodeo, um, you're going to be taken away into captivity. And so that happens. But then this part, Jeremiah 29 and, and the, the chapters around it are part of this conversation that is taking place this is actually a part of a letter that jeremiah writes but a conversation where some of the prophets of the day false prophets we find out are saying they'll be back in two years so they're back in judah they're saying the people that have been taken into captivity they'll be back in a couple of years and jeremiah speaking the word of the lord says no it's going to be 70 years that they're going to be away 70 years in exile 70 years that they'll be in captivity. Now that, as you can imagine, that's not a popular word that Jeremiah is giving. So he's sharing that with the leaders and the people that he is surrounded by in Judah. But then he writes to the people in captivity in Babylon and he says, this is the word of the Lord for you. And there we have the verse that we have as Jeremiah 29, 11, where the Lord says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. But let's go back a little bit in Jeremiah chapter 29 and let's see some of uh, what else the Lord says through the prophet Jeremiah. Let's go back to verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, do not decrease. Verse 7, also seek 
the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. goes on. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So can you imagine if you were in exile, you were in captivity, you'd been taken captive by this evil empire um, and dragged off to their city, to their nation. And then you get a letter from one of the prophets in your hometown that says, make like that's your life now. Don't just shrink back and live a reduced life, but actually be fruitful and multiply. And even more than that, as he says in verse 7, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is like mind-blowing, that not only have you been dragged off into captivity, but you're to pray for the city, pray for the people that are now holding you captive. Pray for them and, and hope and pray that they will prosper. And that's where we then get into this time when there's this, prosper, this promise from the Lord that says, I have plans for, you, plans for you to prosper and not to harm you. But intermingled in all of this is the Lord's desire that the city that's taken them away, the people, this evil enemy nation, that they would prosper also. Now, the Lord has plans for the empire of Babylon. And if you go not even seven decades into the future, you see that that empire falls away. And then I think it's the Assyrian empire rises up and takes over everything as well. But God says, seek their peace, seek their prosperity so that you too will prosper. Now, I don't know if you know about this, but often it's really easy to kind of read through Scripture and you read Jeremiah and you read Ezekiel, you read Isaiah and you read Daniel that we're going to get to in a minute. And you just kind of think maybe they're one after the other or how they actually connected and you don't really have an idea. But Jeremiah is in Judah at the time that Daniel is in Babylon. Daniel and his three friends are um, actually in Babylon as part of the people that have been taken into captivity. Turn to Daniel chapter 1. And I imagine, quite possibly, Daniel would have read or known about that letter from Jeremiah to the people of Israel that are now being held in captivity. So most of us would know about Daniel. We'd know this snippet of Jeremiah, this verse that we kind of hold on to. And some of us, if we grew up in church, if we went to Sunday school, we would have learned about Daniel in the lion's den. There's a song that comes to mind, but I won't get into it. Um, but we know about Daniel in the lion's den. We might know about the writing on the wall. We might know about the three dudes in the fire, but then there's a fourth dude and they don't burn up, but the soldiers burn up because the fire's hot. Daniel's just a fun read. If you go, It's like 12 chapters. If you just have nothing else to do later on after you've been to the prayer gathering this afternoon, you could read Daniel just for the fun of it. It's, it will mess with your mind. But here's Daniel and uh, some of his counterparts, and they have been pulled into the elect, so to speak. So this is Daniel chapter 1, uh, verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick, 
to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. So imagine you're dragged off into exile, you're dragged off into captivity because your nation has been disobedient to the Lord. So he lets this evil enemy king drag you off. And then it's the cream of the crop that are taken. It's not the whole nation of Judah. It's not all of the Israelites that are dragged off into captivity. It's the cream of the crop. It's the elite. It's the royalty. It's the really smart people. It's the um, society leaders. And so Daniel and his uh, three, free friend, three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, um, are there with him and a part of this cream of the crop. And the king decides to train some of these people, these really switched on people, in the ways of the Babylonians. So Daniel and his three friends go into Babylonian university for three years and learn the ways of these people. And so you travel with Daniel and his three friends through this time that they're in exile and you find them learning the ways, but not only learning the ways, but working their way up through the ranks um, and getting known by the king and by the rulers uh, for, the way, for their wisdom, for their discernment, for their interpretation of dreams. It's a lot of what Daniel is known for as you read through his story. The crazy thing is, now we know about Jeremiah and his instruction from the Lord for the people to flourish, to seek peace and prosperity. The, the crazy thing that gets me when I read the story of Daniel is the way that he goes about it and the love that he has for his king. Now, you might know some parts of the story like we've talked about, like Daniel has his vegetable diet and his three friends have the vegetable diet that they stick to. And again, the three of them are thrown into the fire for breaking the rules that have been given to them. There's a part, Daniel chapter 4, when uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has a crazy dream. And I'm not going to go through the dream. That's not what I want to concentrate on today. Uh, and then he calls Daniel and he says, Danny, come and interpret my dream for me. Verse 19, chapter 4. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. So he has been given the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And he goes um, to King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, Do not let this dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. If only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Daniel has grown up, he, he's basically like a teenager when, he's, when they're first taken to Babylon and he grows up and this, the story of Daniel covers six or seven decades and we kind of lose that just reading through it quickly. Um, but he goes up, he goes through four kings um, in his time in exile. But the way that he loves them and serves them and honours them with purity and diligence is it's quite an encouragement. It's quite an example to follow. The way that he is resolute in seeking the peace and the prosperity of this wicked, evil enemy nation that he is now living in, that he now calls his home. 
and some of the, the treatment that they go through and just being away from what they knew to be their promised land, they could have given up all hope. Daniel could have given up all hope and said, forget it, I'm not interested. This isn't where I want to be. This isn't where I was made to be. This is not my homeland. Some of these are my people. This is not my home nation. So we're just shutting down. But not only does he go beyond surviving, he actually thrives. And not only does he thrive, but he works for his king, for the king of the nation to thrive as well. I don't know about you, but I'm, I really struggle when I feel like there's people that might oppose me or I oppose them or we've got differing opinions or we just completely disagree or I feel like they don't like me or maybe I don't even like them to actually seek their peace and their prosperity. But this is the heart of the Lord, that no one should actually perish. And in that, that you and I as followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters of God, would actually seek the peace and prosperity of people. No, whatever, no, no matter what, we might consider their worth or their value or their relationship with the Lord to be like. The beautiful thing about Daniel is that through his example, through his diligent service, the way that he interprets the dreams, the way that he um, holds himself, conducts himself, actually is what brings people like King Nebuchadnezzar and the next king after him, King Darius, into a relationship with God. Because they see Daniel at work, they see his friends at work and how they are so resolute in their faith and their hope and how they cling to their relationship with God and say, surely this must be the God of all creation. I too will submit to him. Now, this was all a long time ago, and some of us might think, okay, well, that's like Old Testament. This is pre-Jesus. The cool thing is, Jesus refers to guys like these and uses people like this, like Daniel and Jeremiah, in an example that most of us would probably be aware of, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Um, one of the most famous sermons ever given. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, um, Matthew, Jesus has given out a whole lot of blessings that we might know. Excuse me. <clears throat> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on with a few other blessings. And it gets to what we have, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. This is what Jesus says. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They prosecuted Jeremiah and they prosecuted, persecuted sorry, um, Jeremiah and Daniel. Because of the way that they held to the Lord Most High, because of the way that they served the God of all creation, no matter what people were saying. Now, keep in mind, Jeremiah was um, being persecuted by his own nation. In some ways, Daniel had it a little bit easier, apart from the whole episode in the lion's den. Um, Daniel had it a little bit easier in the support that he had from the royalty of the day. Jeremiah was just copping flack because he disagreed with all the other people that were prophesying in that day. 
And here is Jesus for instruction to his disciples and instruction that you and I can cling to. And he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I think we need to underline that because of me. Because it doesn't say, people, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because you're stupid. Like it's, it's because of me. If you actually step out in faith, if you're looking to serve me and honor me with every aspect of your life, if you declare me as Lord and Savior to the people around you and people have a go at you because you do that, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Jesus goes on, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Everyone in the house will see the light from this lamp. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What Jeremiah and Daniel and, and Jesus and the other prophets and the other leaders have in common, that they let their light shine before everyone around them so that people could see them and acknowledge their Father in heaven. And if they didn't, if they were persecuted, if they were ridiculed, if they were mocked, if they were beaten and killed because they stood out on a limb in faith for God, then they were blessed. Many of us in this season have found it really hard as Linda shared to open the service and the challenges we've had for being separated from family and friends, loved ones for weeks, if not months, and the restrictions that we've been under and the challenge that we've faced. And there's some people in the church around the world are, are suffering persecution as Lockie led us in prayer. Some of us, some people are persecuted for their faith. I wouldn't say that we're being persecuted for our faith. I don't know that we're being pushed down, ridiculed, mocked and beaten and torn apart because we stand up and declare that we are sons and daughters of God. It's a hard time, no doubt. But I don't think we're at this point. But I read this, I read these accounts of Jeremiah, I read these accounts of Daniel and I read the message from Jesus and his words to his disciples and his words for us today and it gets me thinking, how, how far will I go? How much will I lay it all down for my king? How far am I willing to go to make his name known? If it means that I'm going to be persecuted, if it means that I'm going to people will insult me, or if people might even say false things about me because I declare my love and my faith in Jesus, will I go all that way? And I would love to say, yes, absolutely, I am 100% committed, but to be honest, I haven't faced that. I haven't faced it. So at the moment, it's theoretical. But I cling to these stories and I cling to the encouragement and the promise that we have from Jesus and from the Lord and say, I am 100% committed. 
and I will cling to him and I will not let go because I want to be the salt of the earth and I want to be the light of the world so that when people look at me, when people look at us as the Horsham Church of Christ, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters of God, that people would look at us and say, when I see you, when I see you at work, when I see what you're doing, when I see how you live your life, I know there must be a God. And I want to know more about him. So what does it look like? I was thinking, okay, so what, is, what, what does this look like? How can we kind of see this come to life in our own lives? And I thought of three different aspects that are exemplified by Jeremiah and, and Daniel and Jesus and others throughout Scripture. And the first one would be to get alone with God. To get alone with God. So we have things at our hands so easy to kind of grab our Bible on our phone or whatever it might be and just grab a quick minute. But Jeremiah and Daniel and Jesus, one of the things that they all had in common was that they would get alone with God. That they would seek him, that they would go after him, that they would draw aside and be with him. The disciples were constantly waking up in the mornings and going, where's where's Jesus right now? And they would go and find him being alone with God. Daniel was, was persecuted. He ended up in the lion's den because he broke one of the rules that the other governors had come up with. And the, they would not pray to any other God except the king of the day. And Daniel heard it and he went up to his room, got down on his knees and prayed. It's only when we pull away from the noise of this world when we pull away from all the distractions and we get alone with the Lord, get into his word and we seek his face and listen for his voice speaking to us, that we can be fully strengthened and encouraged to live out the life that he has called us to live. It's when I hear him speak through prayer, through spending time in scripture, that I'm reminded of who I am and who I'm meant to be and the purpose that I'm alive for. And how I live that out in today's world. The second thing would be to get right with God. And maybe you're at a point in your life and you don't really connect with God. Or maybe you have never connected with God. And this is kind of the first time that you're hearing about God and Jesus and following him and giving your life for him. And persecution doesn't sound a whole lot of fun right now, does it? Not really. But all of this is doable. All of this is achievable. All of this we can do. We can walk out only in right relationship with the Father. And that might mean that as we get alone with him, that we repent for the sins that we have committed. Maybe, it's be, maybe it is that we don't have a relationship with God. We've never said a full-hearted yes to him. We've never confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives and, and believed it with our entire hearts. And so before we engage the world and being sons and daughters, before we let our light shine before the people around us, we get right with the God of all creation and say, God, I am fully committed to you. I am fully committed to being the person that you have made me to be. I give my life to you. I surrender all that I have and all that I am to you. Come and use me as you will. The third part would be that we go with God wherever he leads, wherever we go. Few of us are called 
into a distant mission field to actually leave the context in the community that we know to go and serve in a mission capacity in another cultural context. Most of us actually fulfill our God-given gifts, talents, and the life that he's given us right where we are, whether that's in the workplace, whether that's in the school, whether that is in the way that we lead our families, whether that's in the relationships that we have with the people and the community around us. And it's not that living out the gospel is over here and then the rest of my life is over here. It's actually an all-in-one package. That in the life that I live, when I live full-heartedly, wholeheartedly sold out for the gospel, when I live to let my light shine before all men, wherever I am, wherever I go, whether I'm just in the local cafe buying a coffee, out for lunch or going for a drive and as the state borders begin to relax, praise Jesus. That in all of that, I get to let my light shine before all men so that they will all know my Father in heaven and he will get the praise and the glory. And sometimes that might be as simple as stopping and having a conversation with somebody who looks lost and lonely. Somebody might say, hey, can I pray for you? Maybe it's buying somebody a coffee. Maybe it's dropping a meal in. Maybe it's in the relationship that we have with our spouse and our kids. And maybe it's all of these things all together. But we discover this and we're strengthened in this for this. And we can go through this with God-given strength and wisdom and discernment, just as Jeremiah did, just as Daniel did, just as Jesus did by getting alone with God and getting right with God and knowing that we can go with him wherever he leads, wherever we go. It's not meant to be something extra that we do after hours or something that is disconnected from the rest of the reality that is our lives. It is all intermingled that as we come back to the God of all creation, the God who made us in his image, who saved us from sin and death, that we then reflect his goodness, his kindness, his likeness to the world around us. I find that really freeing and amazing, and I hope that you do too. This is hopefully an encouragement for you that when we fully discover who we are and who we're made to be, and then I walk that out in my everyday life, that people can look at that and go, I want to know more about the God that you serve. It might take some conversation, it might take some figuring out, but that's... That's the lives that we get to live. That's what you and I are invited to do. Now, if you don't have a relationship with God, as I was talking about a few minutes ago, then this today is a very special day because this can be the day that you surrender your life to Jesus. And some of it might sound scary when we're talking about being persecuted and ridiculed, but when we do that for Jesus, he promises us our reward is in heaven. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I invite you to stand where you are and I just want to lead you in a very simple prayer. So Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you saved me from sin and death. Thank you that I am made in your image. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that you are my Lord and my Saviour. Thank you, God, for your plans for me to prosper me and not to harm me. Thank you that you are my hope and my future, 
and that as I prosper, the city around me prospers too. If you've prayed that prayer, if you have accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour for the very first time, maybe you've reconnected with God after a long time away from him or you've just felt disconnected, particularly in this season, and this is the moment where you say, you know, I'm, I'm getting right back on track with Jesus as Lord and Saviour of my life. Um, Linda will come in a moment let you know how you can share that news with us and we will celebrate with you and we want to encourage you and we want to connect with you so that we can be the community that surrounds you and cheers you on in your walk of faith. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, for all of your life, for as long as you can remember, or maybe just this year you gave your life to Jesus and you're like, I, I don't really know what this looks like. And we're starting to come out of restrictions and feels like, the, you know, the the ties that bind are starting to loosen up a little bit and we can start to breathe a little bit easier even with the masks on that we still have to wear. May we be people who lean on these promises and lean on the examples and the testimonies of Jeremiah and Daniel and Jesus himself. That as we live the lives out, as we live out our lives fully devoted to God, as we seek him first, as we declare him Lord and Saviour, as we let the world around us see our good works. It's not us that would be glorified and recognised, but we would actually pull people into relationship with God. I bless you, your family, your friends, your enemies, <laughs> your enemies, and the city around you with peace and prosperity, that God would be glorified in all and through all.